Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. said amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. To our guests this morning, we honor you for being here. And if you're joining us online, we thank you for taking time out of your day to be with us in service. We've been talking about the importance of God's word over the last few weeks. And as already been stated, we will conclude our study this morning from the subject, God's word in my heart. The bottom line is that we must be pleasing to God and that our desires, our wants, our thoughts, and our intents are pleasing to him and in line with his word. The fact of the matter is, is that his word is a discerner of every thought and every intent of the heart. It's already been quoted, but let's do it again. We'll spend some time here this morning in Hebrews chapter 4. And we'll begin with verse 12. The Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so that's where we'll take our focus here this morning. His word in my heart. Instructions are important. If you've ever attempted to put together a piece of Ikea furniture, you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing worse than thinking, I got this, only to find yourself at the end of the task with extra pieces or even the project looking not so much like the picture because you didn't read the instructions. In the end, it appeared slightly off or even worse, nowhere near what it was supposed to look like. You see, in ready-to-assemble furniture, there's a process. Every piece is integral to the overall completed project. Many times you have so many screws, you have so many bolts, you have so many washers, they're all separated and parceled out. There's pieces that have numbers and letters that nomenclate what they are and where they go. And the manufacturer went to great lengths to put all of these things together to put them in a package so that they could be worked together in tandem to become a finished product. He went through great lengths to separate and to put these things in order that they would go together in order to resemble what he meant it to look like. And then with that, not only were there pieces involved, not only were there there are certain numbers and letters that were assigned to each piece, but the manufacturer then supplies a written guide to aid in making that finished product look exactly the way the manufacturer intended it to look. And so if you're just going to throw something together and you really don't care what it looks like in the end, well, by all means, throw out the instructions and wing it. 
But many times, oftentimes, for people that maybe don't have the means to go buy something that has been handcrafted and placed together, a lot of us have to go to Walmart, get that piece of furniture that is ready to assemble. But only that, we're spending money on that. We're taking the time to pick the piece, to spend the dollars that it takes to buy that piece. And so when we're doing that, we're spending our own time, we're spending our own money in order to put these things together. That's going to cause us to take some, some care in that assembly. Now, if we're spending the money and we are spending the time to choose that piece, it's not going to be something that's just going to be freestanding with nothing on it. Many times we're buying that to hold or house something that we value, whatever that may be. So not only does it need to look right, but it needs to function correctly. Not only does it need to look good, but it needs to do what it's supposed to do, to adequately house or hold the commodity in which it was designed to hold for as long as it needs to hold it. And so let's throw the ready-to-assemble furniture out of the picture for a moment. Let's talk about homes. A home that will house a family with children, a mother and a father, should in no wise just be thrown together and hope all stands the way that it should. No, we enter into that with great care. There are, there are presuppositions that go with that. There are blueprints and preparation. There's instruction that goes along with that. And so I'll just bring this to where we are here this morning. As Christians, as believers, we have been tasked to build and we have been tasked to assemble something that is very, very important, and that is a life. And in so doing, we have been given instructions. It tells you every intricate detail that would complete the process and the necessary tools needed to build that life to house a very important commodity, a treasure, a gift. A pure heart that has been kept, that has been unaffected and uncorrupted by the world around it. Proverbs 4 and 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart above everything else. Keep your heart, for out of it flows all issues of life of life. And so how do we do that? Well, I don't want to I don't want to just because I'm holding the mic be uh, using personal things just just by sake of, of, of convenience, but as I'm writing this, as I am as as I am preparing for this particular lesson, and I am I am writing the words to open this lesson, I can hear a voice in the other room. As I'm writing, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows all the issues of life. I pondered in my mind, how do we do this? And I could hear a small voice from the other room as she reads the words, Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord our God is one Lord. I could hear Kaylin from the other room, not because I told her to, I don't even know why, but I believe that God was just allowing this transaction to occur at this very moment. If anything, to to just prove to me that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And she kept going, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up do you know what she was doing at that very moment she was doing something that will keep her heart she was doing something that will that will change her heart and keep her heart I'm thankful that she's doing that now and she's not waiting till later but in her own solitude she's reading the word and she's exposing herself to the word here oh Israel the Lord our God is one Lord and so we are kept our hearts are kept when our soul's desire is to love God with all of our heart with all of our soul and with all of our minds and to love his word and seeking to apply it diligently daily. That is how we will keep our hearts. It is by his word. And oh, what a word it is. Now it's sad to say, but not everyone holds that sentiment. Sadly, many in our world today simply don't believe that the Bible is in step with our modern culture. Quite frankly, the fear of the Lord has decreased and respect for the Word of God is widely non-existent. There would be those who would argue that its principles are antique and out of line with the cosmopolitan lifestyles that so many embrace. And to a degree, I would agree with that assessment. It is out of line. It is out of step. To agree, I would agree with that assessment. However, it is not that it does not align with the current climate. It is that the current climate has failed to align with the word of God. It is not that it is out of step with the current culture. It is that the current culture has stepped away from his precepts. I'm telling you right here and right now, the Word of God did not just get here and it was not just born yesterday. It did not come from the mind of a man who just devised something and wrote a book on it and there was people that would follow it. His Word is forever settled. His Word is eternal. It was here long before the opinions began to wander and it will be here when all else is a distant memory. It is it was and it always will be the forever settled word of God and it will always be the highest authority in the earth. It is not antiquated. It's alive. It's not old. It's forever living. That's how the writer of Hebrews said. That's how he described it. He said the word of God is quick. 
that means it's alive. And we know that it's alive because we can apply it to any situation, to any circumstance. We can apply it at any instance, and we can apply it at any interval, and any time, and in any season. And it will always be material, it will always be relevant, and it will always be right. It is just as pertinent today as it was in the day of the prophets. It absolutely requires just as much adherence in 2022 as it did as the day holy men spake and the words were penned. And only a living book could accomplish that. The writer said that it's living, that it's alive. He said it's powerful, energetically efficient, and effective. And he said it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That description is very important. Consistent with Paul's admonishment in Ephesians 6 and 17 when he describes the whole armor of God, the sword of the Spirit. We'll be hearing about that more in the coming week. The sword that proceeded from the mouth of the Lord himself in Revelations 1 and 16. Hebrews' illustrative depiction of the Word of God in that way reiterates and confirms its quality as a weapon. Paul so aptly and so emphatically both outlined and admitted that we are without doubt in a war for the souls of humanity. And he more than alluded to the fact that we have weapons that are available to us. We are not empty-handed. We are not walking through this world hoping that everything just turns out all right. Paul said we have weapons and that we have weapons that are not carnal. They're not necessarily perceived with the five senses, our sight, our touch, our smell, taste, or hearing. But they are discerned and utilized by and through the Spirit of God. And Paul said they are mighty. They are not just little tools, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so the sword in this context, this mighty, this powerful, this two-edged sword is a multi-tool, if you will, with a dual purpose. Able to effectively combat the enemy, yet at the same time possesses the ability to affect the user. But it goes even deeper than that, both in a literal and in a figurative way. A figurative sense. Not only, not only does it affect the hearer, but it also affects the speaker. That is why the Lord said, I'll send my word and it will not return unto me void. It will accomplish what I send it to accomplish. And so it is a double-edged sword. The writer here uses the word Greek, distimos, having a double mouth as a river. It comes from a root word, dis, which means twice or again. And the word stoma, meaning face, or a mouth as part of a body. And so the word of God, hear me now, spoken, flows in both directions, inward and outward. 
simultaneously. Let me say it like this. We can wield the Word of God and efficiently and effectively combat our adversary. We can quote Scripture and watch our enemy scatter. That's how Jesus did it. He, the Bible said he was led into the, by the Spirit into the wilderness. And three times, what did he combat him with? It is written. It is written. It is written. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and him only shall shalt thou serve. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we can quote that scripture and we can watch him flee. We can pray the word and we can watch our situations change. But hear me now, we can pray his word and watch the, watch the word change us. Because it's a two-edged sword and it cuts deep. You see, the Word of God doesn't dance around. It doesn't just tiptoe around a situation. The Word of God cuts to the heart of a matter. You see, the Word has a unique ability to conduct its work not only on the enemy, but on our hearts as well. The Word has a unique ability to conduct its work in deep and secret places. Anyone, anyone with a heartbeat can see what's on the surface of a matter. Any human being, no matter who they are, they possess the ability to assess outward actions. Any man or woman has the ability to assess outward things. Now, understandably, actions outwardly are a product of an inward thought, an inward desire, an inward emotion. Brother Everett spoke so aptly on that this past Wednesday night. But if we were completely honest with ourselves, no human being can accurately and without error look within. Discern? Yes. Evaluate? Absolutely. Assess a situation? No doubt. But no one, hear me, no one knows me like God knows me. I can show up and I can shake hands and I can smile and I can be friendly and I can act like everything is alright but there is only one who can look within and see what is on the inside and that is God and His Word. Only God knows the motive. Only God knows what's behind the action. 1 Samuel 16. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. And so not only does God look on our heart. Not only does he see everything. Not, everything, not, not only does he see everything within but his word, listen now, his word can reveal the inconsistencies in us to us. It would only be one-sided if God, he just sees, but he sees and then he speaks. And so here's a very immutable fact. I don't need to tell you this, but he sees everything. There is absolutely nothing that he doesn't see. There is absolutely nothing 
that is not hid or that is hid rather from his sight. The writer of Hebrews follows his statement, the word of God is quick and powerful, in Hebrews 4 and 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Another translation, another translation says it like this, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so he sees it, he knows it, and we must answer to him for it. Jeremiah 16 and 17, For my eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from my eyes. He sees it, he knows it, and we must answer to him for it. He sees every downfall. He witnesses every misstep. He has knowledge of every indiscretion, every step to the side, every backing up or turning away, every misstep, every downfall, every down sitting. But thankfully here this morning, that is not all he sees. Proverbs 15 and 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And so can I tell you here this morning, he sees exactly what we're doing here right now. Not only does he see every aspect of secret sin, but he sees the good as well. He sees every time somebody opens that word and begins to allow it to expose them and be exposed to them. He sees every time that we open it and begin to read its pages. He witnesses every trip that we make to his house house to give him praise and to give him honor he has every knowledge of every good deed that has ever been done in his name and he has made a note of every tear and every prayer and every praise that has ever been offered to him why don't we do that here this morning for a moment why don't we just lift our hands and praise him because he sees it and he makes note of it we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Oh, he sees. He sees and he makes note of it. Hallelujah. Not only does he see, not only does he see all, but here's a great comfort. He understands. <laughs> Not only does he see it, but he understands. Not only can he see what we are walking through, but he understands what we are walking through. He understands why we do what we do. And so we simply can't talk about the fact that he sees and knows without understanding the fact that he sees and knows we have compassion. He gets us. He understands us. He knows what makes us tick. Hebrews 4 and 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points, not some, not one or two, but in all points. 
tempted as we are. Listen now. He's, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was tempted, past tense, tempted like as we are right now in the present, yet without sin. He's experienced everything humanity experienced, yet he's conquered the power of sin. And in his victory, it is his victory along with his compassion that encourages us to come to him with boldness, the Bible says, to find the grace that we need to make it through every single situation that we face. He sees he knows and he understands and that ought to prompt us to come to him with every need and every supplication. And hear me now, with that applied in our lives, that scenario is a faultless plan. Well, I don't know if you believe that or not. That's a faultless plan. It's faultless. And there's nothing you can tell me that will change my mind about that. It's faultless. You know, to some degree, it's sad, but to some degree, we've become okay with faulty things. We've become sort of kind of accustomed. Well, I can feel it in the room. Some of us have. We've kind of become accustomed with it. Nothing. We know nothing's perfect, whether it be products or people. Let's, let's talk, talk about people for a moment. Let's just talk about products. This feels better. For the most part, we've, we've come accustomed with faulty things, faulty products. You, you order something. I hate to say this online. You order something from Amazon. Comes in damaged. It's not worth that. Well, if you got Prime, you can return it. But if you don't, it's not worth it. Just buy another one. You know what I mean? Your your washing machine tears up. You don't call. You probably can't get a repair man nowadays. Just buy, go buy another one. Lowe's has got them in stock. We become accustomed to it. In some cases, if you try to return it, they'll tell us, "All right, we don't want to deal with the inventory." Just they they quote it, valued customer. We appreciate. It. We don't don't go through the hassle. They don't want to deal with the inventory. They knew it was faulty when they sent it. They were already prepared to send you another one. Oh, man, I I feel so cynical right now. (laughs) Processes are imperfect. Methods are imperfect. Results often are imperfect. Yet, there is one thing on this earth that is absolutely, unequivocally perfect. And that is the Word of God. It stands in complete contrast to the world around it. It stands in complete contrast to everything that comes up against it. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but in just three simple verses in Psalm 19, God's word is described as perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, enduring forever, true and righteous all together. Hence the negative attention from all things faulty. It stands in contrast. And so when we come into contact with the contrasting word of God, we have no choice but to see our own 
inconsistencies. When we come into contact with the pure word of God, we have no choice but to see our inability to be without error and without fault. We are faulty. And the Bible makes that clear, Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are imperfect. We will struggle. We will have bad days and we will end up in or at least walking into the possibility of sin and that will consistently exist as long as we are in this body. It will not cease until that great day when the Lord appears and we are changed from mortal to immortal for eternity. And so until then we will continue on a journey that is marked with imperfection, that is marked with inconsistency, and is marked with discrepancy. But thankfully, we're not walking all through that all by ourselves. We're we're imperfect. We, We will never be perfect until he changes us from mortal to immortal and we have been tasked to walk in this imperfect, this sin fallen world and in this imperfect flesh through a journey and to get to him on the other side but he didn't just say do this from point A and I'll meet you at point B. He gave us something to guide us along the way. It would be a sad state of affairs to never know that you're walking in the wrong direction if you were just walking along a trail and you never knew that you were walking in the wrong direction nobody ever said anything they just passed by and waved hey how you doing it's a nice day and the sun's shining and everything looks all right. but never telling you hey bud you're going in the wrong direction you're walking in the wrong way you're headed in the wrong direction you're going to wind up somewhere that you didn't intend to be What a sad state of affairs that would be without someone who would tell you that you are walking in the wrong direction. It would be a tragic end of all ends to reach a destination that is far removed from where you needed or even intended to be. And so that is his word. It is the guide. It is his word that when we study it and when we supply and when we apply it to our lives, we can ensure that that will not be the case. It's his word that guides us. It is his word that directs us. It is his word that helps us along the way. And the exposure to his word, the exposure to that word on a regular basis, the anointed preaching of the word of God, it provides us with warning and the acknowledgement. And then allowing ourselves to be led by his spirit gives us the opportunity to get back on track and to get it right to, to, to stand back up, to dust ourselves back off, and to begin again when and if we ever fall. Hear me now. God is not in the business of tearing us down and then leaving us off to be on our own and by ourselves on the road of destruction. It's not his business to just point out the fault. It's not his business to tear us down pointing out the malfeasance, and then leaving us in that state. You see, when we're willing to be exposed to his word, 
when we are willing to submit to his direction. The inspired scriptures pulls us up from a place of self-destruction to be seated with him in heavenly places. Simply stated, the word of God restores. He's not in the business of tearing us down and leaving us there. He is in the business of pointing it out and then giving us the opportunity to get it right. He is a restoration God. I'll, I'll read it now. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. In verse 11, moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And so yeah, the law of the Lord is perfect, and when we come up against that law, we can see our imperfections, but his law is perfect converting the soul it doesn't just leave us there his testimony is sure making wise the simple and so no longer am I walking in the wrong direction because his word has revealed the right path for me to walk and has made me wise whereas I was simple the statutes of the Lord are right and when they are right and when I allow myself to them that's why my heart can rejoice because his word is always right. You see, the word of God is not only prescriptive. It's not just the imposition of a law or a legality, but the word of God is preventative. That's why David said so emphatically, Lord, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Oh, Lord, thy word have I hid in my heart because wrongdoing begins with wrong thinking. Actions often are born out of wrong desire, and desire is born at the seat of our appetites, at the seat of our emotions, and the seat of our passions, which is the heart. David uses the word in Hebrew, Lob. It's derived from the word labab. It literally means the heart or figuratively the inner man, the feelings, the will, and even the intellect. And so David said, your word, your word, Lord, will I favorably protect in my most inner self, in my will, my mind, my heart, my very being, at my very core that I might not sin against you. And so that's the bottom line, that we are pleasing in the sight of God. Because Psalm 19 and 14 summates the whole idea overall. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in that is both the treasure and the issue. Jeremiah 17 and 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
who can know it? God's fierce judgment would be unleashed in the flood because the Bible says that their imagination, every imagination, every thought of his heart was only evil continually. And so hereditarily, an unclean heart has been passed down through the human lineage and it is categorically the source of all evil committed throughout human history. Matthew 15 and 19. For out of the heart proceed evil Thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault witness, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. But God, God promised something profound. Although we have been passed down a human lineage of an unclean heart, he said in Ezekiel 36 and 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and here's the treasure, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So I'm coming to a close. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And it is, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The summation of Hebrews chapter 4 is entering into rest. More specifically, the promise of rest as it pertains to New Testament salvation. It's in Hebrews context 4.12 that the word of God describes God's promise to give the land of of Canaan to Abraham, a promise he renewed to Moses and the nation of Israel in Egyptian captivity. As it pertains to the new covenant, this phrase equates to the promise of salvational rest to all who trust in Jesus Christ. Just as God promised Israel rest by giving them the land of Canaan, New Testament believers are promised rest through a new covenant of faith. However, many of the Israelites failed to enter into the rest God promised them through unbelief and disobedience. And so it stands in relation that there will be many who fail to enter into the final rest that is offered through New Testament salvation due to the same exact issue. Disobedience and unbelief. It's a heart problem. It's a heart issue. Hebrews 4 and 12 utilizes and references the various aspects of the Word of God to to demonstrate and denote its ability to assess the most inner thoughts and the most inner motives completely and accurately. It's a heart issue. And the word of God cuts to the heart of the matter. The word of God cuts down through all the stuff, through all the nonsense, through all the, 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 the whatever you want to call it. You want to call it legalism, call it legalism. If you want to call it the, the society that we live in, the, the word of God does not care about all of that. It does not affect the word of God. This word has not changed no matter what happens from Tallahassee to to Washington, D.C. It has not changed. And it does not matter what will. I know I'm running out of time, but it does not matter what will happen in the future. It will not change his word. 
It's a heart issue. And so it is here to cut through all of that to the heart of the matter. Because that's what matters. My heart, my heart must be right. And so I'm closing with this. Imagine this scenario. A king delivers to you a rare jewel for safekeeping. The jewel is of great value and irreplaceable. And you are responsible for its security. That in and of itself would be sobering. But then imagine the king says that you must transport this treasure on a lengthy and difficult trip through an unfamiliar and often dangerous land. Its safekeeping is paramount because the king will meet you at the other end of your journey and he wants back what he gave to you. He wants it back intact. He wants it back safe and uncorrupted by the outside elements. He wants it pure, just like it was when he gave it to you. And so if you do so successfully, he will reward you with untold riches and pleasures. But if you fail, the consequences will be grave. Understandably, questions would flood your mind. How, how should I guard it? How, how should I do this? What, what road should I take? Are there dangerous parts to this journey? Are there mistakes that others have made in the past that I, I must avoid? Are there enemies which I must be aware of knowing that you have no experience, no, no prior knowledge in traveling to this destination or even protecting such a treasure? This task would be absolutely overwhelming. But just as you are about to lose yourself in the despair of ever successfully completing this mission, the king hands you a book in which he has recorded the answers to every single question that you have just asked in your own heart. He's handed you a book that will answer every question that you have now and while you're on the journey, it tells you where to walk. It tells you how to walk. It tells you what to do and what not to do and how to protect what the king has entrusted to you. Just how precious would that set of instructions be? Just how absolutely precious would that set of instructions be? How carefully would you read it? How diligently would you heed its direction? How diligently would you heed its direction? Giving you sincerely, giving you sincerely believe that life and death hangs in the balance. I suspect that most of us here would gladly ensure that every aspect of that journey was governed by everything that that book dictates us to do. Now, that scenario is absolutely hypothetical, but it is in all in all ways not unrealistic because we we have been given a treasure. We have been entrusted to keep that treasure with all diligence and present it back to God in a pure state that is uncorrupted by the world around it. And hear me now, we have no choice in the matter. We must walk the journey. Some journeys will be longer than others. Some will end longer than others. Some will end more abruptly than others. But the journey must be walked. You must complete the journey. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to 
die and then the judgment. We have no choice in the matter. We have to walk the path. The journey must be and it will be completed at some point and when the journey is complete we will give an account for the condition of our hearts. Hear me this morning. I'm closing. Why don't you stand with me? It'll make us all feel better. We've had no experience, none whatsoever in transporting a pure heart from here to heaven. None of us have done it. None of us have completed that that path. None of us has walked it, made it there, and then turned around to tell our friends about it. We don't have any experience. We don't have any foreknowledge from transporting our heart from here to heaven. And in all honesty, we don't know when the journey would end, but we know someone who has. We know someone who has. He he died on Calvary. He, he stood in our defense. He stood in our place, and he died. The Bible says he was tempted, and he was, he was given every opportunity to take himself off that cross and to set up his kingdom on earth, but he didn't. You know what he did? He, he presented a clean heart, a pure heart. And so we've never walked this journey before, but he has, and now we have it in his word. We have an example that's been given to us that not only can it be done, it has been done, and he's already done it because he's already overcome the world. This is an invaluable and an eternal book that has been provided to us and we would behoove ourselves in so doing by keeping this with all diligence to put it in our hearts, as David said, that we might not sin against God. And if we do, we will hear those words that we have all been waiting to hear. Well done. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to do what's right. I don't know about you, but I want to do what his word says. I want to do what what, what thus saith the word of God. I want it to get to the heart of my, my soul and my being and reveal to me everything that is inconsistent with his word so that I can get it right and I can present myself to him both a living sacrifice and a pure heart when he returns to take us home. Why don't we lift our hands? Why don't we lift our voice for just a moment and thank him for the word that he has given us for it is forever settled in heaven O Lord. Thy word is forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth shall pass away God but your word it won't pass away and we're hanging on to it with everything we have. Reveal to us O God what we need to change. Reveal to us O God what is not right with you and help us align ourselves with your word in the name, in the name in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Why don't you this message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.